In a global industry where anything can happen, where mistakes cost much more than dollars, we bring you expertise from around the world to ensure that everyone goes home safe every day. The internationally acclaimed Oil & Gas HSE podcast starts now with your host, Russell Stewart. Hey everybody, as always, thanks for listening and thanks to our sponsor, Knowledge Vine, the leader in human performance improvement training and technologies. And speaking of human performance, I want to remind everybody that Knowledge Vine, along with the HP Community of Practice, is sponsoring the second annual Human Performance in Action Conference, which will be held in Houston, Texas at the Downtown Hyatt Regency, April 17th through the 19th. Conference theme is Identifying and Managing Risk, the Science, Data, and Application of Working Safely. And my listeners can get a discount by using the code OGGNHSE podcast. Today, my guest on the show is Mike Hoffman. Mike, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, absolutely. Glad to be here. Well, Mike, before we talk about, you're with a company called Dragos. And before we talk about Dragos, let's talk about you. My goodness, you got a hundred times as many letters after your name as you do in your name. Just exactly how many certifications do you have? <laughs> That's a great question. I think I have around 13 certifications through SANS. Uh, they're GX certifications. But I have a couple other ones, and I've left some of them drop as well. I do enjoy studying, and uh, I kind of consider it almost that one of my uh, things I like to do on the side in a way. Cybersecurity is an area where you have an opportunity to study, and I love continual learning. Okay. So speaking of education, you mentioned this organization called SANS. So that's S-A-N-S. Tell us about that. Yeah, absolutely. I may provide a little bit more background on how I got a part of SANS because I also teach for them as well. But they are one of the largest, I think I would say they are the largest training organization for cybersecurity. They do things such as offensive cybersecurity for folks like if you've heard penetration testing and so forth. They have a whole new cloud curriculum for all the different cloud aspects of not setting up cloud, but making it secure for your companies and so forth. They have a lot of defensive type practices on how to defend and architecture networks and all those areas. And then the area that I'm actually involved in the most is on the industrial side. So they have a whole curriculum around their industrial classes, ranging from just getting into it, learning about instant response on the industrial side, and then also thinking about more on the complex architectures. And so I actually teach one of their classes now. It's called ICS-612. But nevertheless, it's really you know having a lot of those systems that we see in the refineries and oil and gas sector and so forth. We actually have that in the classroom and we teach students how to build up their environment, how to make it secure, and also ways you can break it as well. So it's a lot of fun. SANS also has a master's program, and I actually am a graduate of that a couple of years ago. Wow. Okay. So we are, as it says in the show notes, we are talking about cybersecurity today from an HSE perspective. Mike, you actually have a lot of experience in the oil and gas sector in this area, correct? Yeah, that's correct. So if we go back a couple of years, I actually started out, wow, it's been a while. Back in, it's even before 2000, I'll throw a little age bracket on myself. So I actually, so I started, and in fact, it even goes before me. My dad was actually working in a refinery. And so I kind of grew up in the oil and gas sector. Um, I remember family talks and that kind of stuff. He'd come home from work and talk about the exchangers on the crude unit that they had to swap out and clean. And so I got really fascinated with oil and gas in general. I'd say from an extremely early age, I kind of want to be like my dad and, and work in the, in the refinery. Actually, as a teenager, so a little bit of backstory, he brought home some books on how they actually train their operators into instrument technicians. And so I actually began to do that when I was a teenager. And so I went to tech college at 17, 
for instrumentation and control systems. And so I got out of tech college at 19 and was able to start as a contractor and then eventually full time with a little company called Shell at a refinery. So I started there at actually 20 years old. Really, my background is, you know, really from the boots on the ground. So I have a cyber role now, but it hasn't always been that way. And of course, back in 2000, cyber really wasn't a thing. We were just trying to get our systems connectorized and and get them networked out. And so back in those days, it was all about getting systems connected, talking to IT systems and so forth, our DCS systems. But I really started back doing instrument and control systems. So instrumentation as a technician, working on hydro treaters and reformer units and so forth. And then kind of began to see that I cannot like to study all the time. So I moved into process and SIMS analyzers and also lab analyzers. At the time, a lot of those systems were, those equipment, you could actually program them. At the time, they were coming out with this cool thing called an Ethernet port. So I was very fascinated that we can hook these things up and get them talking to our DCS systems. And so that really allowed me to move into different areas within the plant. So I got, again, very fascinated with that uh, bachelor's degree in computer science as I worked. That took me eight years. Again, always working, of course, in our plants, a lot of turnarounds, a lot of overtime. So I got a bachelor's degree, and then eventually from there, I went into, did some measurement stuff, custody transfer, and then eventually went into upstream. So I did a transition from downstream to upstream, working at a, a site in Wyoming, actually, where we had 500 some wells. At that time, I was able to really get into a lot more of the IT-ish part of it, but also really focused on, of course, safety. That's why we're here today. But really thinking about well operation and control, alarm management, and all those things. Along the way, though, part of my responsibility was making sure that our sites were secure, as well as optimized and running efficiently. So I did a lot of different types of jobs there. One of them was networking and security. So really got it kind of inspired and to go into more security. Uh, At that time, we were having a lot of vendors coming in remotely and so forth. Unfortunately, there was a little bit of a dive in natural gas prices and that kind of stuff. So that site was sold off. I went back to downstream, but at that time, my role had completely changed. So I came back to the site where I started from so many years before, but my role then was a really focused on the control systems and securing the control system. So when I think control, think about all our DCS systems, optimizers, historians, all those different systems out there including safety systems. And so really focused on securing those areas. And then with that too, of course, global projects came around where we're trying to standardize in our security tools and that kind of stuff. And so I got really involved with that and eventually ended up moving into more of a global role, really focused on all of downstream sites across Americas and even Europe and so forth, even supporting some offshore assets and also midstream. So when you think about my backstory, my background, it's one where, again, really started out blowing down transmitters and working on control valves and now ending up in a global security role. With that, though, I eventually transitioned, moved over to Dragos, and I've been there two and a half years now, now as a technical lead consultant. Still back, uh, focused on oil and gas sites and a lot of different verticals as well. But uh, again, I think my heart is always with the oil and gas community. That's where I grew up in. So well, that's great. So tell us about Dragos. Yeah, so Dragos is a, I would say it's a large startup, and it's not really a startup anymore. It's a very, very mature startup, if you will. I think we're up to 550 folks now. But the company really started out a number of years ago with that idea that we really need to see what is inside of our plants. So a lot of the attacks that are occurring and so forth within critical infrastructure, so not just oil and gas, across most infrastructure, 
most of the attacks will occur and people at the sites and so forth don't really have the capability of identifying what's going on until it's too late, until that malicious intruder or that adversary is already in the networks. So what Dragos is, is it really started out as a company to be able to create tooling or create network and monitoring tools to be able to go in to deploy mounted sites so to get visibility within these industrial environments. To do that, though, you have to have a lot of different teams. So you have to have engineering teams that create this visibility and also network monitoring product. But then you also have services teams that go out and help customers look at their architecture, understand areas where there's problems, maybe at a refinery where there's some network architectures wrong or different things just need to be improved on. There's the security arm. There's also an intelligence. So part of the company is also looking outward to see actually what's going on in the, within the landscape and understanding what type of attacks are we seeing and trying to gain that intelligence and use it for customers and supporting the community and so forth. There's a number of other teams as well. There's incident response that we do and a whole other facet as well. Also OT Watch and really trying to be part of the community in that aspect of giving back and really supporting the community from a knowledge transfer and so forth. Kind of see ourselves as hired a lot of good experienced people. And the community is one, especially when you think about cybersecurity and and critical infrastructure, it's behind IT security and that's okay. But yet the community needs to grow and develop and mature. And so one of our key focuses is really giving back to the community white papers and presentations and and all kind of different ways where folks can come and learn and take those learnings back to their plant and overall secure their environments much, much better. Okay, so let's talk about the cybersecurity specifically. How vulnerable are we and what are these vulnerabilities? Yeah, it's just an absolutely fantastic question. So When you think about cybersecurity, a lot of people, when they think about cybersecurity, they think about from maybe your home aspect or something like that, where a number of years ago, it seems like everybody was getting different malware on their home desktops or laptops and so forth. Systems and machines and all that kind of stuff, a lot of the vendors have done a lot better at reducing vulnerabilities or hardening their systems and so forth. It's like when you go out and buy a new laptop today, a Windows laptop or a Mac or you name it, it's going to have vulnerabilities. But compared to where it has been, things are getting much, much better. When we think about OT systems or critical infrastructure systems, I would imagine the DCS that's running your refinery is not five years old. It's probably 20, 30 years old, and it may be partly upgraded. And people are doing upgrades to their systems all the time. So there's always some aspect of these critical environments that are fairly new. And then there's other aspects that are quite old. So within OT security or operational technology, vulnerability is definitely something that we really pay attention to. It's not something, though, where, and I'm glad you brought up the word vulnerability, Vulnerability is something normally when we think about it, it's like this piece of software that somebody can attack or it has something, some weakness in it that we have to go either protect, mitigate, or fix. And so these sites have systems that are vulnerable. Even when I say vulnerable, sometimes the vulnerability is built in. Some people like to refer to it as like vulnerable by design. So we have controllers out there. We have systems that are designed to work. They're they're engineered to work, not quite engineered to prevent an attack or being used maliciously. So vulnerabilities are something that we have to be concerned about, watchful of. But within the OT space, we have to treat vulnerabilities differently, meaning that we can't go out and patch our servers and our controllers within our sites 
the frequency we do it in the business side. Our plants would trip offline, shut down all the time. So we have to put other protections in place, other mitigations. We have to get that visibility in our sites and look at vulnerabilities, maybe from the aspect of those OT systems that are communicating with maybe our business side. Those may be areas where we need to think about the vulnerabilities, but down lower level within our networks, the systems that are actually running the process, those vulnerabilities are much, much more difficult to remediate. And also your return on investment on worrying about those isn't as high. There's other things you can do. So specifically, I think you and I had talked off air, some specific examples of these threat groups that are out there. For example, the 2017 attack on, was it on safety systems? You call it TRISIS, is that right? Yeah, exactly. I actually remember, so when this attack actually occurred, I was still working with an oil and gas company. It was one of those things, it was definitely that an eye-opening event for, I think, most people in the community. When we go out into our sites, we have base layer control systems or our DCS system. That system is running our plant. However, we also have safety systems. And a lot of people are familiar with like dikes around tank farms. We're familiar with pressure relief valves. So if a process or a line gets overpressured, it's going to relieve to the flare or maybe to atmosphere or something like that. There's multiple different things. We have check valves or double check valves out in our plants for protection of piping and so forth. So we have these different systems out there for process protection. However, a lot of times, though, as we upgrade our sites and so forth, we have to go and implement instrumented systems. And those are there. So in case something does happen, in case we have a over temperature, an under temperature, forward flow, reverse flow, different types of events that will drive that are outside of our operator envelope or operation envelope for our sites. We have other systems out there that are there to protect us. They're there to protect equipment or human life, and they're called safety instrumented systems. There's a number of vendors out there that, that you know, manufacture these things to a certain safety level and so forth, so levels. That's a whole other discussion on setting these things up properly. But nevertheless, so these systems are there to protect us and our plants from blowing up, I'm quite literally. And so in 2017, when we heard about this, so this attack was this group, and we as Andragos, we have classified this threat group. And this threat group we classified, we call it Xenotime. Disregard the interesting name, but nevertheless, so what this threat group did is they went in and compromised a safety system. In compromising the safety system, they actually were able to get inside of that network and they actually got onto the computer that the safety system workstation. And that computer allows or talks to the safety system. So that's where you can upload and download the logic files and so forth to understand what that system is doing. It also gives you the capability of downloading new firmware to that system. So what this threat group did is they were able to get into the IT side of this plant. They pivoted over to the OT side of the plant where the DCS system was. They were able to get on that workstation and then they had access to the safety system. And these safety systems, a lot of times will have some sort of physical key switch. On this safety system, it was actually a Triconic safety system and nothing wrong with Triconics that system, but nevertheless, there was a key switch and the asset owner had left it in a remote type mode and which allowed the workstation to actually upload and download files online. And so what this threat group did is they were able to download new firmware, do all kinds of different things. And so what they did was actually the worst kind of case scenario is where they attacked the safety system and then were beginning to go after the DCS. And what they're trying to do is cause that safety system not to trip. 
So you think about this. So now I have a safety system out there that I'm reliant upon, not for a plant explosion. And now this threat group is now going after my DCS to drive my process outside of the operator envelope. And in doing so, you're kind of setting yourself up for that perfect storm of disabling your safety. You're driving your process outside the window. You're going to cause some sort of an event, some sort of an explosion type of an event. And so that was the attack that occurred. When that came out, of course, there was a kind of a big shakeup in the oil and gas community. I think one of the main things was that a lot of times we always thought that our safety systems were kind of like, that's evil to go after that. But yet this group did. I'm trying to get my arms around that. I mean, are these groups trying to do this on purpose in order to sully the oil and gas industry even further? Are they environmentalist groups or what are they? I think this one, and normally what we don't like to do is go back and try to name the person or or why or how they're doing it. We try to look into, like if you say this is Russia or China or whoever, to the asset owner operator, it doesn't matter. You still have to respond. It doesn't matter who's doing it to you. You have to protect your side. From a national, from a geopolitical type standpoint of view, it does matter from a country. But from a plant out, out in Texas or you name it, it doesn't matter if China or Russia or whoever is attacking you. You still have to go protect yourself. This was definitely not a environmental type of an activity where like an environmentalist group went after the site. This was very much a nation state type adversary who was trying oh, to okay. absolutely target a certain site in a certain region ah. and cause that kind of consequence. Oh, wow. These threat groups are still active and they're targeting what kind of facilities? They are. So in fact, so Dragos, again, so we track all these threat groups. So like if you go to our website, you can actually go to different threat groups and you can pull down the different ones and we track them to make sure if they're still active, if our intelligence folks are still seeing activity. So of course we track above web and we track the dark web and other sites to do this. But irrespective of how we're watching, we are watching. We are watching that this threat group is still active. And so what they have been doing lately, and we actually published this in our latest year-end report, 2022 year-end report, Xenotime is still active. And they have been doing a lot of reconnaissance on different like LNG trains and that kind of thing. So the threat group's still out there. They have extensive capability for these ICS systems. The attack they carried out in 217 was, you know, to do something like that, you have to know how these ICS systems work. You have to know safety systems and all that kind of stuff. So their knowledge of our plant environments is quite high. So again, this isn't to raise that we should all be fearful of this, but it is to raise that these threat groups are out there and they're learning our systems. Right now, again, they've been really focused on LNG systems. Of course, understanding gasification or lithification of LNG sites, trains, and so forth. So they're still out there. So we need to be aware and we need to have our guard up and we need to be ensuring that we're protecting our sites. Okay, so let's wrap up with things that sites can do to defend themselves from these kinds of adversaries. Yeah, it's a great point. And a lot of times when we think about what we can do, there are so many different things. There's so many different playbooks. There's different frameworks and so forth. One of the things that I've really been pretty excited about is from SANS, actually, they've released something called the SANS 5 Critical Controls. With that, there's a number of things that sites can do to kind of protect themselves. And in Just saying that there's, I'm saying five things, but it's more than just that. But really, it's, first of all, um, trying to understand how we can 
have some sort of a instant response plan. Because a lot of times I think people begin to think, well, I need to go out and spend all this time and money effort and re-architect my site or put in all these different security things. Well, sometimes you might be too late. Kind of the number one thing that people can do is think about having some sort of a instant response plan for their ICS or OT environment. After that, of course, once you have that plan in place, you know how to respond and you've actually gone through tabletops exercises you get into a defensible architecture where you really need to begin to again look at how is my site separated from my business systems? Am I able to defend against these type of attacks? The next thing, step three, is really looking at a monitoring from a networking aspect. Can I see a malicious activity occurring maybe on my safety system? The next is remote access. A lot of our, our plants, we utilize Vendors, especially on rotating the equipment and those kind of things for remote type service work, remote monitoring and those kind of things, making sure that we have secure access for those people. They're only allowed to do so much and we know what they're doing. And then finally, vulnerability management, just kind of the first thing that you brought up was understanding the vulnerabilities, but in certain areas, those areas where we have tight integration between our control systems and those systems on the business networks watching for those, really paying attention to those things. And of course, paying attention to others, but really that area where you have a lot of cross-connectivity between our plants and our business side. So what Dragos does then is they do these assessments and help a company put these defenses into place. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that we do, and especially myself coming from the services side, is we go in and do architecture assessments, tabletop exercises, incident response, kind of helping people go through the instant response maturity. We offer the, of course, the visibility product. Uh, Part of the architecture review is looking at remote access, looking at vulnerabilities and so forth. One thing that we don't do is we'll go implement something, but as far as identifying, helping out and so forth, that's absolutely our scope of work. Well, there you go, folks. That ought to be worth the price of admission today. Technology helps so much in the area of our main theme around here, helping everybody come home safely and also to help protect the environment and the health of workers. But it all has to be protected. It's a shame that we have these kinds of adversaries out there or these kinds of threat groups, but it's something that we need to be aware of and we definitely need to defend ourselves. So for all you guys listening out there, maybe you might want to reach out to Dragos. We'll, uh, put Mike's LinkedIn URL in the show notes. We'll put Dragos's website address in there so you can get that 2022 Dragos year-end report on these various different threat groups. Mike, it's really been a pleasure talking to you. Uh, This is a fascinating subject, and I really appreciate being able to have an expert like you come on and talk about it. Absolutely, and thank you so much for having me on. Well, again, thank you. And again, thank everybody for listening. As always, please tell your friends to listen. Post us on LinkedIn and your other social media. Leave us a review on iTunes, Spotify, or there's a review link in the show notes that you can go into. We'd really appreciate if uh, you take the time to do that. So our sponsor, KnowledgeVine, will know that they're uh, getting this HSE message out to everyone. Please tune in again next week for another episode of Knowledge Vines Oil and Gas HSE podcast. It is a production of the Oil and Gas Global Network, and Knowledge Vine is your dependable partner for full service human performance and safety consulting, Knowledge Vine error reduction that works. As we said at the start of the show, discover more about Knowledge Vine by finding in the show notes our website link and other contact information, including that conference discount code. 
or as always, you can simply reach out to me on LinkedIn and we'll see you next time. Tune in next week for another engaging episode of the Oil & Gas HSE podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.